Thaw, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites. And you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the surprising way you work. It's never been about what any of us deserve, Lord. Sometimes we see a character and we say, man, he doesn't have a chance. Thank you that you made a way. Guide us in this message tonight as we continue to worship you, the living God, in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, we recently did our supper club, supper night, over at George and Tammy's, and Dwayne was there as well. And we had some questions afterward, and one of the questions was, uh, when you get to heaven and you have a chance to ask God anything, what will you ask him? And two of the people in our group, Gracie and Robert, said, why me? And, you know, I thought about that as I left. That's when salvation comes. When you come to a place where you are just overwhelmed because you understand and you realize that you don't deserve His forgiveness. You don't deserve His grace. You don't deserve His mercy. It's never been about what we have accomplished. Put it that way. I love Romans 5, 8 that says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still messed up. (laughs) I don't know who said it, but someone said, you know, the three greatest miracles, that when we get to heaven, there'll be some people up there we didn't think would be there. And there won't be some people up there we thought would be there. And hopefully we'll be there. Right? (laughs) That's the wonderful, powerful message of grace. When God works in a totally unexpected way. And tonight as we look at this judge, he will choose to use a guy that no one would certainly handpick in a community. That's for sure. And a surprising saint. God would stoop down 
and redeem. You know, it's interesting as you look through the judges, they follow this cycle. You would think after a while they would learn, you know. Someone has said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And that is exactly what seems to happen. Uh, You know, they were following God, and then they begin to get puffed up and full of themselves. Then they forget about God. Then they get in trouble. And then they start crying and whining out to God, I'm in trouble, God, help me. And God is compassionate. and They turn from their wicked ways. God rescues them. They follow God. And then they do it all over again. And in the midst of that, in the book of Judges, God would raise up specific leaders in his power to come. And they would come to that point and cry out and say, Okay, God, I need you. It's such a mess. Apart from you, it cannot be fixed. So help me. And this particular judge is a man God would raise up. It's after 18 years of suffering at the hands of the Ammonites and the Philistines, and they're in trouble. Uh, The way they had been acting toward God, someone said it's like the bomb shelter theology. You don't mention God and you don't obey His word until there's a national crisis, and then everyone starts praying and fills up the church. We see that, don't we? But it only lasts a short amount of time, and then people um, stop turning the Lord and go their own way. I just Let's just spend a little time looking at some of the strikes this guy had against him. The text starts out, it says, Jephthah the Gilead was a mighty warrior. It'd be great if it stopped there. Man, this guy was a mighty warrior. That's not where it stops, is it? His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. So the first strike against him was he was illegitimate. He wasn't part of a family that was together. He was known in the community as, as somebody who was either a mistake or a one-night stand act of passion that resulted. But he didn't come from a home that was intact. And he carried with him The pain of that as he grew up. Although he was a mighty warrior, he was the son of a harlot. He was the son of a prostitute. But God would speak to this mighty warrior through his grace and he would call him to lead. Secondly, going along the same train of thought, not only was illegitimate, his mother was a harlot. She was a prostitute. You know, I know I just read that, but... You know, think about what happened. We don't know the details, but Gilead was unfaithful to his wife. Uh, Perhaps it was just an act of insanity and heading to a place for one night of secret sin that would mar him for the rest of his days. And to his dismay, this prostitute was able to prove that the child belonged to him, that he was the father And eventually, Gilead would return home, and he had some sense of moral fiber as he didn't want his child to have no home in which to grow up. And so he took the child into his home, but his marriage became a battleground, and there was a lot of disunity among his children, which leads us to strike number three. He was eventually rejected by his family. 
Look at verse 2. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So he never fit in. He never felt that he was really a part of that family. And then one last strike against him. Verse 3, we discover he becomes a gang leader. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. The word literally means empty or reckless. This was a group of people who were in a land that means wilderness or treeless. In other words, they were a gang of nobodies living in Nowheresville. That's where this man resided. That's where he lived. Here, here, so imagine this one that God would raise up to be a leader, born to a woman who wished he'd never been born, abandoned by her, taken into the home of a father who really didn't care enough to insist that he be treated equally. In fact, as we read in his account, it looks as if he's embarrassed by the constant reminder every time he looked at his son. Of his sin. This, this is what Jephthah grew up with. This is what he had to fend off. Alexander White was a Puritan Scottish preacher who a lot of these uh, Puritan writers were known for uh, their ability to, to write a lot of pages in their books. And he did a set of biographies. He loved to write Bible characters. His ministry was during the 1800s. And um, he had a similar story. He was an illegitimate child, raised in poverty, but his mother raised him with a deep connection to the church and a piety in faith. Um, it's interesting, uh, looking in his 800 pages of Bible characters, biographies, he had something to say about Jephthah. You see, uh, Alexander White, he he knew what it was like. Uh, as he grew up, he contended with uh, the jeering, being mocked by the boys his age, the scorn of the girls, the whispers of the townspeople, because in the culture in which he grew up, that was not acceptable. They tried to hide you. Tried to push you away as if you didn't exist so that you wouldn't be a blight upon the community where they might try to ship you out of town. He was apprenticed to a shoemaker and he ended up going to two universities, Aberdeen and Edinburgh, where he studied to be in the ministry. And as you can imagine, his ministry was marked by a deep sensitivity to people who were broken, to people who were the rejected the ones that Jesus had a heart for. I want to read to you uh, from his biography on Jephthah. Jephthah was the most ill-used man in all the Old Testament, and he continues to be the most completely misunderstood, misrepresented, and ill-used man down to this day. Buffeted about from his birth by his brothers, trampled upon by all men, but most of all by the men of his father's house, 
called all manner of odious and exasperating names. When a prophet came to dine, he was sent away to the fields to be out of sight. The iron had entered his soul, yet while he lay in his mother's womb, and both his father and his brothers and the elders of Israel helped deepen Jephthah's affliction, till the Lord rose up for Jephthah and said, It is enough. And he poured oil and wine into his lifelong wounds. Words written by a man who had a unique look into how Jephthah must have thought. Maybe you can in some way identify. I have discovered, um, as the years go by, everybody has a story. And everybody has a hidden pain and a hidden past and regrets. But this is a beautiful story of how God can take us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of those regrets, and through His grace, He can change the outcome. Matter of fact, as we read on in the text, we see that that is what happened. He became somebody nobody wanted to somebody everybody wanted. It's kind of interesting. As Corey Tinboom used to say, there's no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And so the picture here is that in His grace, He would reach out and He would restore Jephthah. I mean, as far as Israel was concerned, this guy was beyond the grace of God. We've all played that game. Why God could never reach him. Aren't you grateful that there's no one outside that reach? I know I am. Um, Verse 7, it's interesting, it says... Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? I mean, I'm sure the memories were seared into him when his family gathered him and said, It's time for you to leave. You are not receiving the inheritance. You got to go. Don't let the door hit you on the behind as it closes. Bam. Get out. Yet, this is what he suffered. And now, he's standing at the door, and they're coming all dressed up in buttoned-up shirts and looking all proper and official because they need his help. And it's amazing, not only the grace that they would choose to want him to come and to be their leader, but that he would actually consider it. Because you think that the hurt would be so deep that the last thing he would do is be willing to consider helping those who had rejected and hurt him so deeply. Can you imagine him with his friends from uh, who are nobodies in Nowheresville? As he says, his, you know, they hear this. You're not going to consider that, are you? The way they treated you? No way. How could that happen? Let them have it, Jephthah. Alexander White, in that biography, makes some great points. He says, Jephthah becomes something of an illustration of Jesus Christ's own story. Born amid suspicions of an immoral mother, conceiving out of wedlock, growing up to eventually be rejected by the elders of Israel, and a companion and friend to sinners and tax collectors and harlots. People with a past, but people you'd never expect to see with any kind of future. There's no way that kind of man will ever be considered as a deliverer, a champion for the people of God. But ah, enter the grace of God. And it's sweet. 
I love in the scriptures it says, not only have we received the grace of God, but he has lavished us with his grace. He has freely, deeply poured forth his grace upon us. I like to say immersed in grace, submerged in grace, soaked in grace. Just soaked in grace. A friend of mine, I love it, he he often uses the word grace not as a noun, but as a verb. And... uh I always say I'm going to do that more. Maybe I'll start. But instead of just saying, look at his awesome grace, he says, God has graced me. And we are called to grace one another. Isn't that beautiful? And, and this is a man who was graced by God, although his past was filled with deep pain. And this next stage in the account of Jephthah sees his restoration. He might not have had a diploma in the rabbinical school of Judaism, but he had the doctorate in survival from the school of hard knocks. Is <laughs> from which he came. We read on in verses 5 and 6 of the account. It says, The elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. So he, he ponders this. Of course, he says, why would you come to me? And then in verse 8, he gives them this. Uh, he gives Jephthah, the elders do, this word. Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites. And you will be our head over all who live here in Gilead. We're preparing to announce you as the supreme commander. Let's let all bygones be bygones and let's move forward because you're our man. You're our hope. You're the one God will use to wipe these Ammonites from the planet and to bring us victory. You know, the natural thing you think he would have said was, you need to taste your own medicine. Get out of here and never come back. Just suffer, rot for all I care. But that's not how he responded. It says, verse 11, he went with the elders and that they made him head and chief over them. Just a couple of lessons here. First, Jephthah teaches us that it's possible to move past your past. So how did he do it? It's interesting. Look at verse 11. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Jephthah. He repeated all his words before the Lord. You know, it's interesting. In the account of this man, Jephthah, he uses the most personal names for God of any of the judges in the book of Judges. In other words, something happened out there in the land of nowhere with a bunch of nobodies that he met the living God. And something happened in his life. And he developed a relationship with God to where he was able to talk openly. And he was able to pour out his heart. And he was able to pour out all those feelings of regret and and his feelings of worthlessness and and how he was done wrong and all of that stuff. He was able to pour it out before God and there was some healing that evidently was able to occur as a result of that. He discovered the amazing grace of God. That's how he was able to move past his past. And that's still true today. The way we're able to move past our past is to discover God and the grace he provides. 
You know, it's amazing as you look through history, just a few names. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of his day. He had a fifth grade education. God would use him in a mighty way. He used a sheep herder named Philip Keller. He used a doctor who worked with lepers named Philip Yancey, as he writes many wonderful books. Um, an ex-con like Chuck Colson, who recently I listened, you know, he died not too long ago, and I was listening to Focus on the Family as they remembered his life, as he had a heart for people who were in prison. God would use Chuck Colson. The son of an alcoholic like Josh McDowell or a college dropout like Chuck Swindoll. God's in the business of grace. The people who mess it all up, he often raises up. That's the way it works. Secondly, second lesson, Jeff Thaw shows us it's possible to help those who refused to help you. Although everyone had abandoned him, he chose not to abandon them. Somehow in his walk with God, he understood that he was loved and he was needed. That God showed him he mattered. And so he realized that the people of his land needed him. He came through even though he was rejected, even though he was abandoned. I can almost imagine him praying as he... As he is brought with this amazing offer from these people. Lord, you'll never believe what happened to me. You'll never believe who came to see me today. You'll never believe who needs me. Lord, I'll do it. I'll lead them. I'll give my life to them. I'll serve them because I know ultimately it's serving you. It's serving you and it's all for your name. It's all for your sake Josh McDowell um, if you ever read any of his books and of course he had a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict which is like an encyclopedia for uh, someone who wants to defend the faith and um, anyway as a child he grew up in a home where his dad was an alcoholic who was mean when he drank it was not unusual for Josh to come home and uh, couldn't find his mom. And he'd go out to the barn and he'd find his mom laying in the manure where his, her, his dad had literally beat her and left her there. And uh, as he got older and he would want his friends to come over, if his dad was drunk, he would take him and tie him up behind the barn and move the car behind the back side of the house and tell them that his dad... Had to go somewhere. He just wouldn't be here for the visit. Josh had a deep resentment toward everybody because of that. And he went off to college and uh, he met a girl that caught his eye. And she had a deep love for God. And he said, Why do you care about Jesus Christ? And she said, well, why don't you try to find out yourself? So Josh went on this deep investigation to find out, is Jesus Christ who he claimed to be in the Bible? Who is Jesus? And as a result of that, his life was deeply affected. He was deeply changed by the power of God. He was in an accident where he had to come home from college 
And while he was home from college, uh, his dad noticed a change in him. And one day his dad came in the room and said, Josh, something's different about you. You actually will talk to me now. And uh, something's happened. And I'm going to read to you from his his own words. This is from his book, The Resurrection Factor. He said, if there was anybody that I hated, it was my father. He said, I went on to a university and there as a freshman, I heard that gospel of Christ. And he said, God immediately began doing something in my life. The Spirit of God had come in and was now producing fruit, the fruit of grace. And it was surprising. Josh wrote, it took me about a year and a half before I could even look at my father. Only later was I actually able to tell him that I loved him. When his dad came in the room, he here's the words he said to him. He said, I don't understand how you can tell somebody like me that you love me. And Josh had that opportunity for the first time to share with him. Yes, I hated you. I despised you. But something has happened in my life. And it came in the person of Jesus. Because of him, I can love you. Josh wrote, 45 minutes after my father entered my room, he knelt beside my bed and he asked Jesus Christ to become his own Lord and Savior. The surprising grace of God that chooses to rescue the people we wouldn't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that grace. Thank you for the Jephthah, for the account of a man who had no home, was rejected by his family, was pushed out. But yet, you found him. I don't even want to say he found you. You found him, Lord, in the middle of nowhere. And Father, he was changed. And he came back to rescue the people under your strength, Lord. I mean, all of us are flawed and all of us need the grace of God. You're not finished with us and you have a mission for us, Lord. And I believe it's to be connected to people and to one another. And so I pray that you would use even weak people like us, Lord. I mean, if you can use Jephthah, you can use us. May we keep that in mind as we are called this week to go where you send us. That it's never been about our past. It's never been about our accomplishments or our sins, Lord. It's about the fact that with you, we have a story to tell. So, Lord, may that story go forth from our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Grab a celebration hymnal.